This is episode 51 of Essential Oils by Design. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Essential Oils by Design, the podcast about human design, essential oils, and how they work so beautifully together. We're your hosts, Raz Isbell and Nani Chasire, and there are three things that we're both passionate about, essential oils, human design, and making the world a better place by helping people get both in their lives. Hi, Raz. Hi, Nani. Today, we are going to interview Tonya Twigger, and she is a manifester. She is the person who introduced me to human design. She has been my mentor and friend for years. She's a writer, singer, photographer, and she brings people together who seek to live authentic lives. She has an amazing ability to build community as well as be a strength and catalyst for those who want to make change and want to make a difference in the world. Hi, Tonya. Hi, Nani. How, what nice words. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so excited for you to be here today, and I can't wait to hear more about your experience as a manifester. Of course, I'm a generator and Roz is a manifesting generator. So getting the inside scoop from someone who's an actual manifester gives us amazing insight. So I'm going to start out with my first question. I'm wondering when you first found out about human design. Well, there are two stories. There's a long story, which might be a little woo-woo for your audience. So I'll go with the shorter story. It's still a little woo-woo. That's good. Uh, I actually uh, came by it because of a writer friend that had a shaman by the name of Will who lives on Bainbridge Island. And this writer friend of mine has spirit guides that Will introduced him to. And I decided that I wanted to go meet my spirit guides. And so I made an appointment with Will And Will had no intention of introducing me to my spirit guides. He had his own agenda for me. And so actually I wrote a piece on one of my blogs and I'll just read you the little excerpt about Will because it comes across well in prose. Will did not reveal nor gather my spirit guides at my side. He had his own agenda conjured in a few deep breaths and long gazes with penetrating blue eyes. He described for me the archives and journals he saw arranged at my chair, lessons and counsel at the ready, and asked why I was caged in black rod iron. What was holding me back from sharing my knowledge and know-how? He asked if I knew I had unique energy. He asked if I had heard of human design. He said I should call a woman in Olympia who Will believed could help reveal to me the manifester he could see. The destiny, it turns out, in the neutrino field sealed at my birth. I'm a sucker for an intriguing portal, especially when it has quantum physics at its core. I had to know more. So yes, I met Will up on Bainbridge Island and was astounded, flabbergasted about what he had said to me. Rode the train back and thought about it the whole time. Couldn't wait to get back and dig in. 
and of course looked up my chart when I got home and was fascinated by the graphic. And shortly after that called the woman in Olympia that he was suggesting and then it started from there. And she's the one that introduced me. Her name is Kathy Rivers and she runs a human design business up there. And she's the one that is my go-to person for like when I have someone that's a quadruple split and I have no idea what to do with it. And would you be willing to share with us your profile and type of authority you have? <laughs> of course I am. I am a 6-2 manifester. I am an emotional decision maker. And I have a really strong 4764 that fills my head with all kinds of things I have to look up and present to other people. Because, of course, the 4764, you can't use for yourself. You have to use with others. I only have two motors, so I have willpower and I have my emotions, but I'm sucked dry by the sacral and um, I have an undefined spleen and an undefined root. And so all down in that lower area, I'm, I'm undefined. So we'll be gentle on you, two generators. Please. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. And I'll have to go slough it off before I go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. So Tanya, I'm really curious to know, tell us about the first big aha that you had when you found out about human design. Well, as both of you know, there's ahas that go along every day, every time you interact with somebody. But the big first ones were, were fun, for sure. Because, of course, after you get your own chart and you start doing the readings, and I did six readings with Kathy, I ran... Um, my sweetie's chart and my kids' charts and my friends' charts. You know what you do, the first thing you do. And the first fun thing was that my three closest friends are all manifestors. Wow. And we talk about the birds of a feather thing. And it was, it just blew me away that I was attracted to people that were of the same ilk. One of them was born two days before me and has been my friend since we were 14 years old. So that was my first big aha. My second one was my sweetie is a manifesting generator with three motors and why he can blow me away every time. I actually very shortly thereafter moved out of the office we shared because I understood why it was so difficult to sit with all that energy. The third thing in the same ilk, because remember I'm looking up all my friends and my sweetie and my, and my kids is that I'm extremely tribal. So everything is on behalf of the tribe. Even my alpha is on behalf of the tribe. So my children, on the other hand, bless their little hearts, as I was trying to sequester them in a tribe when they were growing up, they're both generators, very individual, on very individual journeys and had no idea what I was trying to do with them in the tribe. So I learned very quickly about the differences, about the people that I love the dearest. I have that tribal energy and that's probably why I connected with Tonya. I was actually taking a project management course with her and she announced a workshop, like a weekend workshop at the coast and it was called Creating the Life You Want. And I was so excited because I was always doing self-help, still am. And so Tonya, I got to know you through this workshop, but I remember talking with you once and I didn't talk in depth, so I'm curious about it now that you had some questions or some ahas after you learned that you were a manifester and that like maybe you were teaching something that was manifester like to non-manifestors and what that meant to you or what 
what you were thinking about. I'm, the, I'm a curriculum designer. And so it was my curriculum that was de- that I developed. And so, yeah, I, I, it wasn't that I knew that I was a manifester at the time that that was created. We'd been offering that course for 15 years before I did human design. But I always knew there came a time about eight years into teaching, creating the life you want, that I had this inkling that I was not servicing the tribe. And of course, I didn't know the word tribe at the time, but I was not servicing the people who had been through well enough. And I objected to continuing to collect people because as you know, the tribal piece has who's in and who's out. And I really began to believe, I think somewhere back there that it was too big of a tribe and I needed to be servicing this smaller group and not keep adding people. So once I learned about human design and I learned about splenic decisions and sacral decisions, I learned about reflectors. I learned, I I realized that we were offering curriculum. I didn't think about it in the terms of that it was manifest or curriculum, but not everybody, what my words about it were, not everybody was meant to create a mission and a vision and a plan and goals. And so it was a no brainer for me that it now was not only irrelevant, it was wrong. It was just wrong to be te- trying to torture people to be like me or to be that manifester that I was, that I had inadvertently created curriculum for. So maybe it was like you were teaching non-manifestors how to be a manifester. So I stopped. Yeah. I finally stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, taking the course and even coming back to some of the reunions as a generator, I guess I didn't feel that way, but I can understand where you're coming from. I think I was able to see like little changes that I did and maybe they came from responding and I didn't even realize what was happening, but Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) That's, that's very sweet. Well, and I think if we would look at the charts of all the people who have continued to come back, I would guess that we all have some tribal in us that are looking or are so undefined that are still trying to sort out their voice from all of the voices that come in, all of the input that comes in and they're still looking for some sort of clarity. So Tonya, I'm really curious to know about your experiences as a kid. I imagine it might have felt you were a little bit different. You did things differently. Well, you look at all of that in in retrospect. I, I know now why I was angry at my mother all of my life. All of my life. She was a controlling presence, as many parents of manifesto children are. And I left the house in a nuclear rage when I was 18 because I was so angry with that control. So that would be in retrospect, you know, I just thought I was an awful child that left home in a a kerfluffle, but I think it had to do with that. But as I look back in retrospect, it probably explains why I was class president as a third grader in a third, fourth split. It probably explains why I was student body president when I was in eighth grade. It explains some of those things that I stepped out to do that I didn't even know were anything big. However, I remember one time, I was probably 19, and I was in my car. I was in Eugene because I went to the University of Oregon. 
And I was, I don't know what I had been doing. And I wish I could remember the detail of that. But I remember saying out loud to myself in my car as I was driving, you can do some things other people can't do. And I had something struck me that there was something different about me. But of course, you go and you've been conditioned and you do your thing and you don't know until someone defines it for you, as you guys did with the chart. You get your chart and you get the narrative around that. And it's like, oh my God, somebody knows me and has known me all my life. So yeah. I have to look at it from, you know, from forward back. So the next thing we wanted to talk about, I know you mentioned that you have tribal emotional authority. And this, just to recap what this is, it's the smaller wave that doesn't undulate quite so big. And it, it affects you a little bit more in relationships than just for yourself. But Tonya, I know you know a lot about this. So, and I, I remember talking to you once and you said that it was actually because it wasn't so large, you were still like trying to figure out how you felt it. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with, with your emotional wave? Um, I'm not sure that I would characterize mine as small, especially when it comes in the inner circle of my own tribe. That wave is huge and undulating, and I can be hijacked by it really easily. I have to talk myself off the ledge a lot about the fact that I am not my emotions and that this is part of my process. So I can be really large in those instances and go down. And it's my, my wave is really long. So when I have had upsetting things that have hijacked me for a long period of time, it can take me three months to decide what to do. When I, let's see if I can think of another time. So another instance is my blogs. I've been a blogger since about 2006. One of them was about change and kind of didn't have a direct purpose, but I had been dealing with people for so many years about their own changes that I wrote about those. And it is at the time that I decided to do Seeker's Guide, when I learned about human design, when I made this transference to trying to make everybody do mission, vision, values, that kind of thing, to the idea of differentiation and each individual having their own path, I knew that I needed to, un to revamp the blocks. And they've been sitting there for two years with no direction and really nothing put in them. And one morning I woke up and said, I've got to revamp the vlogs. It was just time. So it is this peaceful place. And it usually happens in a morning. It usually happens when I wake up after a long period of time of contemplation, it goes in the background. I don't think about it. I don't bring it to the table and go, well, let's contemplate about the blogs now. It just sits in the background. And one morning there's, there's a knowing that I need to go do this. Um, and that one was a two year long cycle. And so can be big on the inner circle on things that aren't related to people or especially things that aren't related to people. I can take longer. When I left for South Africa a year ago in June, I had almost decided not to do human design coaching. I had decided based on my experience of people making change and of the detail that's involved and all people have to do in order to undo their conditioning 
that I really felt people were not ready to do it. And so when I left here in June, I was pretty clear after the three, almost three years I'd been working with human design that I was not going to do it. When I came back, one of our creating the life you wanters had just was just in transition going from something to something in her job. And she had a bunch of time on her hands and she absolutely took off and her trajectory went almost straight 90 degrees up. And I was sold from that moment on. I knew that was the work that I was supposed to do because when you're charged about it, there's nothing sweeter than watching someone fly with their own energy. And so that took me three years plus another year. And then a really big antecedent, you know, an antecedent event that caused me to know this is the right thing for me to be doing. So it's a very, my emotional decision maker is I'm still figuring it out after all this time. I know it can be volatile with emotion and I know it's really elongated and I try to be patient with making decisions. I don't know how I would have used it in the business world in an effective way, in a way yeah. that in a generator's world. Yeah. I yeah. think that's, that's so important for people with an emotional wave or waves to understand that, Sometimes it's a matter of sleeping on it. And sometimes it's so much more than that. Sometimes it's a few cycles. Sometimes it's a few months. And sometimes it's a whole lot longer than that. So there is no correct answer as to how long it takes you to get through your wave, what your wave looks like. I don't even think that there's any consistency with individual people's waves. And when I say individual, I mean with people's waves. I don't think there's any consistency. I think it just depends on what, and particularly with that tribal wave, depends a lot on what's going on around you with your tribe. Absolutely. The ones that have taken, I mean, if you think about it, the blogs really were about the tribe anyway. Um, because I offer that information up for people who follow, who follow our, you know, the path. They're looking and seeking a path, and that's the tribe. The blogs took a long time. Even a decision uh, in my own family, trying to bring the family back together after a spat, took me three months. But I woke up one morning and I knew it was time to invite them to brunch. You know, there's just no telling uh, for me. And what I have to do is be clear about that voice when it comes in, that splenic voice that says, you need to do this now. And just for our listeners, the tribal waves, there's, there's, a, there's three of them. There's the 1949, which runs from the root up to the emotion center. There's the 4037, which runs from the will center or the ego down to the emotion center and then there's kind of like the master tribal wave if you like the 59.6 that runs between the sacral and the emotion center and that's one that i know tonya doesn't have <laughs> because if she had that she wouldn't be a manifest so tonya we can't go any further now i know we have some listeners who are manifesting generators who are just 
desperately trying to key into their devices the name of your website. Can you please tell us what that is? <laughs> <laughs> um, they're blogs, so they're all blogs. Um, yeah. I have three of them. The one that's the most salient to this uh, particular topic is called Seeker's Guide to Authentic Living.blogspot.com. And there's one that is one of the themes from creating the life you want that people were lacking. They had either been through uh, organized religion and had cast that aside, or they never really grew up in an organized religion, it has to do with uh, the spiritual path. So I also have a blog called Cultivating Spiritual Practice, and it's about braiding and integrating a path. And I'm particularly interested at this point in what we have left behind when we left our ancestry behind. And so I happen to be of the ilk from the British Isles. My grandmothers were probably Wiccan. And so I am braiding a path that is in, has included some of the Buddhist stuff, some of the Native American stuff. And now I'm looking and uh, experimenting a little bit with the Wiccan. So that's, that's the other one. Great. The, well, we'll make sure we... They wouldn't necessarily be interested. It's a writing photography studio blog. Ah, you never know. We will link to those in the show notes anyway, in case anybody wants to check out Tonya's writing, because it sounds amazing. Before I go on, can I ask one more quick question about essential oils and the emotional, well, emotions or the emotional wave? I know, Tonya, you use essential oils. Do you have a favorite and does it have to do with regulating your emotions or is it for something else? Oh, it's a funny story actually about how, so I have a, a love of singing and I want to lead group singing, tribal singing. And so I went to a school that was teaching you how to lead singing. And there were, a, I was the only one of my age around a group of 20 year olds who had been kind of together on previous times. And so one of them turned out and said, do you have a plant? And I'm kind of looking around thinking, <laughs> and they all started popping up with, yes, they had a plant. And I'm racking my brain wondering if I have a plant. I don't know if I have a plant. And uh, so, of course, I had to take that out of there because I got to think about it. I've got to go through my wave to decide. And I realized I do have a plant that years ago, I was drawn to an Episcopal church that was in Eugene where I was because of the plain song choir and the high church that burned frankincense incense i went to sunday night prayer service because i loved the frankincense incense it caused me to go there and so finally i went oh my god i do have a plant it's frankincense so frankincense has nice. always been it for me and i continue to use it as my standard and I don't, I can't explain it. I always figured that it must be, must have been the spice in Dune because it's the one that I, it's like catnip for me. So frankincense, and I don't know, you could tell me, you know, I don't know whether or not you would pair that for a manifesto or not. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. And what, what, what would be your reason? Well, frankincense is one of those, uh, frankincense is, is known, I guess, as the king of oils. And that's because it's so versatile and it amplifies the effects of 
everything that you put it with. It can slow things down. It can speed things up. It's kind of like a moderator. And so I think it's the perfect oil for absolutely any situation. But it makes sense to me that it would work for a manifester because sometimes a manifester wants to have that voice heard and amplified and we we make this big song and dance about how easy it is for a manifester to speak but sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. and sometimes you do need to have that extra bit of help along the way to feel comfortable in speaking out and sometimes you need to have your voice moderated you need to have it smoothed over if you like because one of the things about being a manifester and we'll get to this in a couple of minutes is that you have to inform and informing people means that you have to put your voice out there and I always like to think of it as as kind of smoothing the rough edges if you like and making making and and this happens with a manifesting generator as well which you know that I am. We have to have the the rough edges knocked off a little bit if you like and I think frankincense does that beautifully. I'm sorry I went on for a while there and I know Nani's probably got something to say about her thoughts on it as well but that's what I think about frankincense. I think it's it's great for everybody but it, I think it's wonderful for a manifester. I was just thinking about the grounding aspect to it. And it seems to me that the burst and retreat aspect of the manifestor energy would need some support when you're in more of the retreat side of it, because you're like waiting for the next spark to come and ignite you. So I think it would be helpful. Yeah, I was just thinking that it might be grounding and stabilizing as you like go through the different cycles of being a manifester. (laughs) And it's so interesting too, Tonya, that you have said frankincense because I know of two very successful manifestors in the, particularly the essential oils business, but two very successful manifestors that they both point to frankincense as being their favorite oil or the reason they got into the business in the first place. So frankincense is clearly very near and dear when it comes to manifestors. Well, plus it, I would always pick the most expensive, whatever it is anyway. For of some course. <laughs> So we were talking about informing before, and it's such an important piece of the manifestor strategy. So I'm curious to know if you've got examples of when you've forgotten to inform and perhaps how that turned out and, and perhaps if, when you have informed and what's happened and why it's worked well. I have a great example about a major breakdown that happened because of my lack of informing. And it's interesting. It's, it's not that I, I choose not to inform you, it's that I don't even think about the need to inform you. I think that's one of the things that's the hardest about it. Um, we're so self-sufficient that it doesn't cross one's mind. So this has been a real retraining for me as I'm doing my own work, right? To try to make sure But my, my major, major one to talk about is my granddaughter is six years old now. But when for the first two and a half years of her life, 
I had, which was not good for my manifester, but I had her on Thursdays and Fridays. So I had her all day Thursday, over Thursday night, and then all day Friday, which by the way, tried to kill me, but that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> but during that time, of course, I was doing it not only because this child was inside of me at one time, because little girls have all their eggs and I'm totally, this child is my, you know, was amazing just to have. I loved taking care of her, but I was also trying to take a burden off my daughter. And there was some tension a little bit about, you know, new parents and how they were doing and what is dad doing and how's it going. And it was just all of that stuff that goes on with the new baby. And so I kind of, I'm self-sufficient, right? I'm kind of made it go away. And so I would take this child. I would never complain about anything that was happening. I wouldn't, I just took care of it. And two and a half years later, they were both so angry at me that I had done some stuff wrong, had never told me about it, that in fact, it was a major blow up. But in hindsight, what I was not doing was keeping them informed about what I knew and what I was doing and why I was doing it and that sort of stuff. So I totally take the responsibility for it. But it was such a great example, twofold. Number one, a manifester cannot take care of a baby for 48 hours on a, on a regular diet for that long. And it, it really hurt my immune system. But number two, that I was failing them by not informing. And I think it was such a great and horribly painful experience that I, at that point, turned over my, you know, my leaf. And I don't do it perfectly, but I do better. So I can't tell you now about an example where it's really worked well, but I'll tell you my life is way smoother now because I recognize that I have to keep people informed. And by the way, because people are prone to behave and do what I need them to do, when I keep them informed, everything goes really well <laughs> and uh, often my way because I do that. So it's just been a really big lesson in my life. And a big incentive. Yeah. 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 So my next question is more on the business side. I know you don't do network marketing. I know you can't probably give a specific network marketing example, but I know business has really been a part of your life for a long period of time. And it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about what you might tell manifestors who are doing their own business or even being in business. Uh, yes, I, I never marketed. And I have been on my own as a consultant since 1991. And I just retired two years ago. So yes, and I just was the presence that I had was word of mouth. So I'm archaic and I'm a dinosaur when it comes to the world. And one of the things that was difficult for me as you started your business and as other women, especially in the tribe that we had started their businesses, to watch them be coached by people who had um, a method for them to use. You have to go do this and then you have to go do that. My distaste or my suspicion about that was confirmed when I learned about human design. And if you're splenic and if you're sacral, you don't want to be, you want to be following something other than someone's prescription. So I think what I would tell a manifester is it depends, right? That if you're splenic, I'd encourage you to learn the voice of your spleen so that you can hear what it's saying to you and follow that. 
If you're emotional, you know, I would talk to them about learning to read that emotional wave so they know what is right for them. And that no marketing person with a formula for marketing can tell you what your body knows. And so that would be the way I would go. If you would have somebody who could consult with you and pull that out to help you answer those questions or to tap into those places where your knowing takes over, then I would be much more inclined to support that. I just reject a one size fits all method for marketing and for your life. And I feel sad when, especially young women, I don't know what there is about this, but wanting to find the, the space and voice and to be seen and heard and follow what the method or the prescription is of that moment and leaving their own voices behind. And so that's what I would say. If you're four six, for example, your marketing better be with the people you know, because you're not there to influence strangers. And so I, you know, there's just all kinds of reasons and I would have to look down every single profile and all of the things about them to say, but what I would want them to do is, is to know their own knowing and how to read that. Thank you for saying that because I'm a four six and I had that aha, but I forget it. <laughs> I should, you know, market on the on the internet to everyone. But yeah, it's it's a good reminder. different nuances in your chart that can affect it as well. So I was going to ask you, are you, you mentioned that you're tired from consulting, but are you taking clients to do coaching with you or is it within your, the tribe that you already have that you were talking about? Great question. Still not answered totally. Um, but most of the people that I am coaching right now are not part of the tribe. Okay. So is there a way that people could get a hold of you if they're interested in talking with you or is it through your blog? Of course, they can contact me on my email at tonia.twigger at gmail.com. Great. So and Roz will put that in the show notes as well. So I'd love to know, Tanya, thank you so much for spending this time with us. I hope we haven't exhausted you too much. I know it's early morning here in Australia, but it's probably later where you are and you're probably just about ready to go and lay down and get rid of all of this crazy generator energy that's clogging up your cycle right now. We love generator energy. We love it. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Um, I'd love to know, is there anything else you want to share with us um, that might help us to understand more about what it's like to be a manifester? Because it is a rare profile. Only 9% of the population are manifestors. And so you are a bit of an enigma to us. So is there anything else that we, we could find out that might help us to understand what it's like? I put three things down um, as I was thinking about the answer to this question. One of the things that's difficult for me is questions. Yeah. Odd, vague questions land wrong for me. And I have a manifesting generator husband who I'm trying to teach not to ask me broad, vague questions because they, it's so hard about how they land. Instead, tell us the answer to the question you want us to answer. So for instance, instead of saying, what's the best thing that happened to you today? 
you might say, you know what the best thing that happened to me today was and tell us. And then I might be encouraged to tell you what the best thing that happened to me today. But hitting me with a question like that off the, uh, without having any advance warning is, is awful. And don't make emotional decision making. This is not just a, a manifestors, of course, but manifestors that are emotional, putting us on the spot by asking us to perform in the moment is really difficult for me. I freeze. So even I'm doing, you know how we're all doing Zoom cocktail hours and stuff, mm -hmm. and they want to do a little check-in question, and you hit me with two truths and a lie right here, and I freeze. I can't do it. I absolutely cannot do it. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, give us our space without judgment. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with this need to have some space. And so being interrupted is disrespectful or it feels disrespectful. And so find a way to have an agreement about how we interact during a day. So we work both work at home and there has to be some sort of an agreement about how many times my manifesting generator is going to come and interrupt me. <laughs> so uh, that's important. And then for me, this has been true since even before human design is no sacral drama after dinner. So I had this rule years ago when my kids, my both girls, too much drama in their lives and they would call me at night and then I don't sleep. And so that recognizing that that drama into the night is too much for us to slough off. I actually have a really great story to tell you about that. But my youngest daughter had a baby in last September and both my other daughter and I were invited to the birth, water birth, and we arrived. She was in the, in the tub, and this kid is sacral, and she is tough. And she, we went through, she had, was not prepared with the breathing that she could have been prepared with. And so we were holding her hands and breathing with her and going through every piece of it um, and for a few hours. And then, of course, the baby was breached. <laughs> they had to take her off and have a C-section. However, that three hours that we spent revved me up so much. I came home and I did not sleep for about seven hours. So know that that sacral energy has more power than we can diffuse. And so we have to be mindful about that. I think that's a really great thing for projectors and reflectors to understand as well you know if, if that didn't come across this that's a manifesto thing but it's also an open sacral thing the no drama after dinner I love that so much I obviously have a sacral um, defined but I have the same thing with emotions maybe it's like no emotions because <laughs> I'm a an empath and same thing like people want to have business calls like network marketing, they always seem to want to meet at night. And yeah, I can't fall asleep. And it's kind of like, I can't drink coffee after one o'clock either. But yeah. well, it, it's so funny that you say that because I totally understand the emotional empath piece, Nani. Being emotionally defined, and, and Tonya might have some thoughts on this as well, but 
I'm sure she doesn't, I'm sure she's sensible enough not to take business on after dinner either. But I know if I happen to check my social media or my emails after dinner, I can't answer them because I need to sit through my emotional wave at least overnight. <laughs> Just don't expect to get an answer from me. Don't expect me to do, do business after dinner because I need to sit with things. And I'm, I'm sure that's probably the same for Tonya, although... Hopefully she uses her open sacral as an excuse. (laughs) (laughs) So Tanya, thank you so much for spending this time with us. I'm sure that our listeners have learnt a huge amount from what you've had to say. I certainly have. I really appreciate the clarity that you speak with and the examples that you gave us. I certainly had a few ah ahas myself. So once again, thank you very much. And that's it for this episode. If you would like to contact Tonia, I will make sure that her email address is in the show notes. If you would like to contact either Nani or myself, you can catch up with Nani at humandesigntools.com and I'm at findyournaturalgroove.com and we will catch up with you in our next episode. Bye, Tonya. Bye, Nani. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Roz. Bye, Tonya. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.